This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Were you into horror movies growing up, like as a kid or a oh, teenager? Oh, yeah, sure. I was growing up, my uh, parents were split up, so I, so I had like shared custody. So there's this thing with, I think, kids whose parents are split up, where this, there's this, you spend, typically spend most of the time at your mum's or whatever. But then when you go around to your dad's, it's like, it's like that's where all the horror movie stuff comes out. <laughs> that, 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 you know, you wouldn't have been able to see back at your mother's house or whatever. So I have I have some fantastic memories of like digging out the goriest shit I could possibly find <laughs> <laughs> for my for my like weekend times with my dad. What sort of stuff were you watching? I remember there's this bit. I think one of my favorite films ever is this um this oh my god. I hope I'm not going to execute myself by saying it's Swedish and it isn't. I think it's Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's called Let the Right One In. Oh, great film. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like the uh, the the budding uh, romance between a um, like a like a vampire kid and a bullied kid, and though it sounds cliche, it's sick. <laughs> are you like are you proper big into film then? Uh, I dabble, I dabble. I, was, I don't know. I I remember what I watched that when I was I don't know maybe a few years back when I was sixteen or something. But I remember it being it's one of those films where you've no no idea where it's going next and it kind of just twists and turns and kind of grips a hold of you yeah dude it's creepy man <laughs> <laughs> they did an american remake of it as well didn't they there yeah there is and i'm terrified of that <laughs> <laughs> but like i mean that's just the way that that's just the way it is that was like um i, I showed i showed have you seen the american in between us yeah i've seen like youtube clips of it that shit is fucking hysterical <laughs> like like absolutely unintentionally but brilliant, and I just hope they haven't, you know, done done whatever done whatever angle they took on that to let the right one in. I don't I don't think it translates to like to American culture. There's something that's so oppressive about the landscape that the original one is set in. So depressing, which is what makes the sort of romance element of it this like beautiful thing that you gotta like hold on to. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess the reason I was kind of asking is because there's a real gothic kind of retro horror movie palette when it comes to kind of music videos that came out around the record oh sure yeah yeah there was it kind of bleeds out of the music and into it at what point did that emerge as a kind of a stylistic motif i guess of, of the kind of campaign and i mean yeah it, i guess it comes to the music you know there's definitely a gothic thing kind of going on with some of the tracks in the album yeah yeah sure it was like i think um we were we were creating a song called um uh the song black tree off of the album one of our producers, Rupert Lydon, put this kind of orchestral bit in the back of it, which gave it this entirely new angle. And so um, the song didn't have lyrics at that point. But then when I heard these like gothic, like rising, falling strings, and it turns into like this like depressive, chaotic fucking thing at the end, 
the lyrics all turned out to be really like oppressive sounding I guess so then when we went to make a music video for that with um Johnny Johnny oh my god I've forgotten his second name uh now this is a this is like residual forgetting how to remember things when you speak to people because we've been in town for a million years. We went to make the music video and then this uh, like Stephen King popped off as a reference for it just because of this like I don't know this creepy angle that the song had. And then for every following video that we made, Stephen King was a motif. <laughs> he pops up in um, is it the video for Bug? When yeah, Kai, does, Kai yeah, is yeah. reading Carrie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that, so that, um, that was, uh, I guess, like a cheeky little wink back to the Black Tree video. And then when we went and did Chinese medicine, there was all this kind of stuff about, like, I don't know. I think it was, uh, I think it was The Shining. We were trying to get in that the Stephen King book with all these multiple doors and corridors and boogie, like creepy, freaky shit. It's pretty lynching as well. That video, mm-hmm. the Chinese medicine one. The kind of like, especially with that kind of weird kind of like american you know kind of classic blue sky with the clothes and stuff outside the house yeah yeah sure yeah th- I, well thanks a lot for making that comparison i fucking love david lynch that was definitely we definitely brought him up more than a more than a handful of times when we we're making that one for sure have you seen his um have you seen his his like recent thing he's doing he's doing his weather forecasts no <laughs> what's yeah, that so- it's so bizarre. It's like he's he's like sitting in his I don't know like the basement in his office or something, and it and it goes like today is October twenty seventh. We've got beautiful blue skies. It reminds me of an apple tree and like all this. <laughs> he's like he's almost like it's yeah Lynchian weather forecast. I thoroughly recommend checking that out. Man, I'm gonna need to look that up. I watched a really interesting podcast with him probably around the middle of lockdown when he was kind of going quite in depth on his meditation and all that stuff and oh, yeah. about his mental health and all that yeah he's proper into the um esoteric whatever transcendental it is. yeah yeah too right have you ever meditated i remember trying when i was younger but i think i'm just i'm far too adhd for that shit and it's long gone <laughs> I think it was really just more part of the I'm going to try and lie still for a bit but I don't think anything like substantial was achieved really it is tough <laughs> it's a weird thing just try to shut everything off it's a... and what about yourself have you tried it? it same as you I tried it but I didn't get too far with it I feel like it's something I'll maybe come back to a wee bit later on mm. I mean I imagine it's something especially important for the current time we're living in to be able to sort of to sort of register yourself and um, and, and, and whatever else but it's like, um, shit, dude, I can't, I can't chill out for five seconds. I've got to be doing something. <laughs> I mean, it, it's quite a, I don't know, I guess we can make it part of your routine. It's quite like a ritualistic thing, isn't it? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, um, I mean, when, when gigs was a thing, the kind of the exercises that I'd go through, I think maybe had that effect where it would sort of like level stresses and everything. And sort of just like you kind of, kind of you know just ch- check in your ego, and sort of just like come back down to earth before you go and do that. So I suppose there was like a little like a little like I'd be balancing around the venue for like an hour before we played or something, and that was quite meditative, I think perhaps. You still do the chant as well. That was the, the chant. Yeah. yeah. Have we spoken? We've spoken about that before, right? Well, I remember seeing you doing it when I we were at um was it the, yeah the garage almost two yeah, years ago now probably. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, that's part of it as well. It's just like, you know, shouting this like embarrassing chant and jumping around the place. So you kind of make an idiot of yourself before you go and make an idiot out of yourself for 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it kind of gets the energy flowing away a bit as well. Oh, like for sure. It, it oh, starts, oh, really? yeah. yeah, I think that, that's, that started like on our first tour. I think I had gone out for a fag or something and the others were like setting up on stage and I came on and it was just like it was a we were all it it was it was still a good show but none of us felt like connected with each other and I think we realized we had to have a moment where the four of us were like knocking our heads off of one another to sort of like you get that sense of brotherhood going I guess before we go and to do some weird shit in front of people <laughs> <laughs> you must have moments on stage as well though do you where you're like you kind of get that sense of connection and all four of you are completely in sync together that is absolutely where like the, the spirit of the thing comes about for sure 
is 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 the interconnectedness when it when it's kind of when when I can like switch this chord and I don't even have to look at Caius and he can just like and he can just smack something on on the offbeat and I know he's gonna do it like before I've done whatever guitar move I'm going into or sort of or we all break together for like a brief silence before we go into another section like none of that stuff is planned it's just what you get with um it's just the relationship between us and that just sort of and energy that just comes through. And dude, if you can get that with the with the, with however many of you are on stage and with the audience as well, motherfucker, shit's. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like telepathy. It is. It, it, absolutely. I saw a I saw a Nirvana interview where Kirk Vane looks really spaced out, and he like tries and he like refers to it as like playing catch with the audience. It's like playing catch, and it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny you mentioned Nirvana because when I, if you listen to the record, like something like Bug, that's got such a kind of early Nirvana kind of vibe to it. Like the bleachy kind of maybe bleeding into Nevermind a wee bit. Just oh, the kind of sure. tones on it. Sure, sure, I guess so. I mean, I think, I mean, I was definitely one of those, like the first time I heard Nirvana, it just blew, it just blew my fucking head off. It was like this, <laughs> it, was like a, it was like a real... It was a real moment. It just, they did this thing so well that it's like, it really, really it, it encapsulates what it feels like to kind of be out on your own as a teenager and you're trying to find your feet in something, but you're angry at everything. So you find a group of people that are also angry at everything. And it's like this bit, this like real, this real big thing. It's like kind of impossible to replicate. And there are loads of bands that sound like Nirvana that haven't managed to reach that, but their sphere of influence um, definitely was probably ringing about in my head at the time I wrote Black. <laughs> you mentioned there as well that kind of idea of being like an angry teen and looking for this this vehicle to kind of exercise that. We are you, has that kind of reconciled a bit in the time since making music, or are you still have you still kind of got that that fire in your belly? It's still like um, I mean, we're we're our teenage angst will be with us forever. <laughs> I think. Anyway, I'm um, I'm 23 now, and it's still like it is still very much within me. It's like um, it's whenever King Nun are making new shit, and we're like, and it, it comes time to do lyrics. The lyrics never come from a relaxed place. <laughs> it's always like it's always trying to find some connection due to some kind of profound frustration. So uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> if you can use that to kind of conjure up like a, a frenetic sort of energy there, like if you look at something like uh, Sharon Ahead with Seth, like it, kinda, it has that angsty thing about it, but it's it, it uses it to fuel it and it kind of bounces along with this this off-kilter fire, yeah, fire in its belly. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, I mean, I would, I, you know what? I would hope so. <laughs> I remember you, you said it sits with Seth. I remember when we spoke about this last time that the idea of him, he is the, the kind of character that you were pretending to be. And I remember you, you spoke about like how you have to be careful who you're going to pretend to be because you end up becoming that person. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So like, so at the time, sort of where we were pulling inspiration from Nirvana, I think that sort of that imitation became its own character. So I think we're really quite like boisterous and sort, and sort of like, it's fucking me against the world, man. And like, I think that, I think that character is like referred to as Seth. So like to try and separate that imitation like from ourselves was was definitely what what that what that song is, which you know at the time it didn't sound that pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> if you kind of separate things in that way though, and you you come up with a way of boxing them into something, they then become quite easy to tackle and address and kind of form something that feels cohesive around it. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I mean, as soon as soon as you can make a visual or a story like out of the feeling it's pretty easy to it's it's pretty um it's pretty easy to run with like um like when we've got a new song going if i can find like some physical thing to talk about to like mirror mirror that sensation then then it's sort of like the rest follows very very quickly like it's sort of i think that's the case with almost all our songs where it's sort of like there's always a fucking there's a street or a hotel or a Chinese medicine place or like or like whatever it is and it's just like if I can find that thing and manage to use it as like an analogy or a metaphor or whatever it is then the rest will follow 
hopefully. Was that the same with the title of this record? Once you kind of stumbled upon that, how did that impact the songs that that kind of became grouped under it? I think I think it, I think it was like I think all the all the songs were so it was so autobiographical of the time. It was like it was like I feel like all of those songs were like self-referencing, making an album in a way with like a bunch of biblic references throughout. Because of those biblic references, I think I found the title Mass to sort of mirror what music is, which is this huge ethereal thing with no, with no particular shape or form and also a mass gathering of people coming together. It all bled together like that, really. Just fucking biblic references. <laughs> I, can't, I really can't seem to shake them off. Were you ever religious? Um, religious in a way. I think I, I, have a th- I have a theory that like, when people like originally like felt inspiration as like a profound thing and tried to call it something, they ended up referring to it as like God. I think God is like, is, is, is any particular inspiration that inspires you to do a thing? <laughs> so I think, um, I think we try and create that in our music. I think we're constantly looking out for that and like worshiping that, like as fans of music. I think in that sense, like our jobs is kind of a is kind of a religious thing really in how in how committed we are to it. But like as far as like as far as Christianity and all that goes, like I don't know. I reckon Jesus was like a pretty smart dude and then someone wrote a book about him. <laughs> it's fascinating you what you're saying there about God though and this idea of people using that as a way of almost embodying this this inspiration. Because it kinda of ties into what we were saying about Seth as well, where when you when you compartmentalize these things and you put them in a place and you you create something out of them, they become a lot easier to address and then kind of utilize in various aspects of your life. Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think about people build the people build these massive, beautiful uh, like cathedrals in order to in order to like pay respect and immortalize this thing that they like call God, and they do these incredible paintings and hymns and poems and books and like all of this stuff. They call the inspiration that comes from that is like, God inspired me to do this. God worked through me to do this. But I don't believe that, defi- uh, that divine inspiration is any different from, from any like atheists, particularly particular inspiration that they draw from. I think, um, I think God may really just be a name for sort of like potential to be passionate that we all are kind of born with. And that, you know, someone put a name to it at some point. You know, Allah, God, um, Yahweh, whatever. It's almost like a little bit of imposter syndrome as well, though, isn't it? What you're saying there, like it's like people couldn't believe that they were able to do this themselves, so they had to say that they were channeling, you know, something through them. Yeah, I, I, yeah, fuck yeah, that <laughs> that's what I'm about. Yeah, that might be the that yeah yeah that yeah that definitely might be involved. I mean, sort of like we're we're too fucking human. As humans, we're so fucking smart. Like at some point, we question everything. <laughs> I think I think there's going to be some sort of like automatically generated self appreciation that comes from that. Potentially, I hope this is a uh, the regular talking points of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we always end up rambling on about something, and it just it goes off on a tangent. And yeah, yeah, good, good, good. This the um. The symbol you've got for the album as well, though, is it Nico? It's almost kind of got like a weird religious kind of culty vibe to it as well. Nico, yeah, that was like in the when we were when we were making the album. I have these um, these big A4 journals that is just like God damn. I have so many. I could build a little hut with them. So that I could be, I could build a house with them. That's how many I have. I'm just scrolling in them all the time, like whatever we're doing. I drew this little. I drew like an arrow up to like a circle. I don't even know why, really. I think it was some sort of like, I think it was some sort of like symbol of optimism I was trying to create that's like, you know, look up, whatever it is. And then I kind of brought that circle closer to the arrow and it looked like this kind of Blair Witch symbol. So I started scrolling it everywhere. So there, so in one of these journals, there was just page after page after page of this like symbol. And it looked probably quite psychotic. Like someone at The Shining. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. I remember, like, my manager, like, picked up the book, he's, like, leafing through it, and he's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I was like, oh, that's just some Blair Witch shit I was, I was doing while I was, you know, waiting for the vocal booth to be ready or something. And then uh, it was totally his idea to, like, bring it in as a logo. 
and then uh, and then James started referring it to as Nico because it's a um, oh god why that god damn it what do you call it when you mix up letters in a word and it spells something else anagram an anagram because it's an anagram of like an icon which is um, the icon oh. we use so that was like and then I liked it because Velvet Underground and Nico. <laughs> <laughs> It's almost like another title for the record. There is, um, oh my fucking hell, dude. The title I've got for the next one, I'm so fucking stoked about. And it's like, I think it is, um, I'm really, really happy with the title, Mass. But this, this one is, it's another four-letter uh, Biblic reference. But it's like, um, fuck, it's so perfect. Great, <laughs> I can't wait, dude. It's so good. Have you got another symbol as well, or just a title? Oh, no, no. I think we'll be using Nico, like, forever. Yeah. It's like, I really like it as this sort of, um, as this thing that we can, like, use to bridge our discography together and sort of make it into this consistent thing. Yeah, unify everything as one kind of body and one, one mm-hmm. thing. Have you seen, talking about consistency, have you seen the White Stripes Greatest Hits coming out? No, I didn't see that. That is fucking so. I can't. I was. I saw this. Um, they like Jack White's live official whatever account on Instagram like announced it was happening, and I I can't think of another band that is like has had a, as a consistent a career. It just makes so much sense that like a playlist or a compilation from the White Stripes is just like that shit's brilliant. If that shit ends up being the best album of this year, that will be disappointing. <laughs> That's I can't fucking wait for that shit, dude. That's going to be great. They're another band that like aesthetically kind of are just perfectly spot on. It's genius. It's actually genius. Just like three colours, Delta Blues, but amplified forever. Just literally forever. <laughs> no, it's perfect. What other, what other sort of stuff is in the, the notebooks that the symbol came out of? What other things you kind of draw and write in them? So, oh my god! Like every song that's ever come out and not come out <laughs> from King Nun, bun- a bunch of sketches, poems, I don't know, every everything, little stories, all this kind of stuff. But is every everything that everything that goes through, through my head? I think I'm on like I think I'm on twenty at the moment to get onto. It's got some. It's like I I don't I don't really. I don't want all of it to like stay in this book, but I think some of it's quite good. So I always, so I stick it up on Instagram every now and then. But then you get, but then you got to kind of wrestle with in, with putting shit on Instagram, where it's like, you know, am I just like exposing shit because of the algorithms, or, or you know, or is this actually worthy? You need to keep some stuff for yourself as well, though. There's something about having pieces of art that you don't show anyone else that you kind of have a different relationship with. It. Oh yeah. Oh for sure. Yeah. Uh, every hand that I fucked up <laughs> stays with me. <laughs> every like every weird pupil that's accidentally pointing in a different direction, that stays hidden. I guess it's kind of similar to, you know, when it comes to being in a band now, you kind of have to sell your personality a wee bit, and that kind of becomes part of the marketing and everything. Too but- right, dude. Absolutely. It's like um. It's now more than ever. It's it seems like the bands are sort of shifting to the the mystique like has to disappear in place for a character that is so larger than life that it is you know easy to grapple with and you can jump on with it. I mean, you can't sell yourself through live shows anymore. So I suppose this is that is a valid point more than ever. I think. Are there are there like aspects of yourself that you kind of consciously keep back and don't let into the? bleed into the band just so that you kind of have stuff to keep to yourself and, it, and it, you're not really giving away you know everything I don't, I don't think so I'm like a totally open book I think like I think um I think uh I think like doing weird shit on stage for so long sort of like kind of annihilated whatever like nervousness or social anxiety I may or may not have had it's all gone like I couldn't recommend singing in a band enough for someone that is like has difficulty socially or whatever it is because it just fucking like my ego knows no bounds <laughs> how old were you the first time you got on stage I think I think I think all the energy that we have now was there but probably less than half of the musicianship <laughs> I think I think I think the first time I got on, got on stage in front of people I was like 13 or 14 or something it was like a school concert and I literally I just remember power sliding like all over the stage and occasionally I'd make it back to the microphone but maybe not 
of sort of just dark, imitating Angus Young up and down, like his little duck walk, just doing that shit all around. But I think, um, I think it was actually like playing music or like singing. I was more scared of than making a fool of myself. Clowning around has like always been something that massively appeals to me. But singing in front of people was a different thing. That was like a journey. <laughs> I mean, your voice has changed a lot, your singing voice. I think so, yeah. yeah. I had to drop an American accent. I think that was like a, that, that's like a, that's like a big thing. I think all British singers, when they start, start with American. It's such a musical accent and it's so easy to make stuff rhyme. And you can't sing Bob Dylan in like an English accent. Nothing rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> So, so suddenly all of us here's a hill here's like turn into ah huh yeah you know what I mean <laughs> was it were you consciously going for an American accent or was it just naturally what you you kind of were drew to when you when you opened your mouth and started singing I think it was like I think all the bands I was into were all American as well as all the blues music I was into because super super into bluesy stuff I think the only English group I was into really were um were ACDC I think that was kind of it and even that is sort of like, it's like sort of like, it's really an accent. <laughs> it's just such a manic energy on stage. Like it's chaos amplified to the, the nth degree. That's absolutely what attracted me to it. It was like, I remember hearing ACDC like live and it was just like something. It was like the crowd was screaming, the guitar was feeding back and it was just, it just felt so like wild and just like not, polished at all even though sort of later down the line realizing that that works because they are incredible musicians and they play so tightly together all, all of this like noise everything coming together into this like terrifying thing was so interesting so then later down the line when i found like the velvet underground and they were using sort of elements of noise rock that made total sense and then we had a crack at it. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of you strike a balance though, like you kind of you strike a balance between sometimes more kind of melodic, popular kind of chorusy driven stuff, and then but you have that kind of like you say noise rock kind of foundation that twists it in this weird and wonderful direction. Hey, thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate it. I think um, I think we're embracing noise rock at the moment a lot. We're doing like a lot of a lot of kind of experiment experimental backing stuff at the moment yeah in fact i hadn't thought about it until now but we might be we might be hearkening back to that sort of love of ours which is shared I suppose after that first album like you you kind of you construct this soundscape in this world that's all you know instantly recognizable you know where we're speaking about the kind of gothic aspect to it as well does it make you want to mess with it more or less once you've found something that works so well i think i don't know i think i'm, I think I'm usually like unaware of it until unaware of anything consistent that we've done kind of until the process is long behind us because it's like I just think music and everything artistic you do it needs to come from your feet so it will always be consistent as long as it's just as long as it's coming from you and what you desperately want but it's kind of it's difficult to look from the inside looking out you know what I mean I think I don't know I think there's just an emphasis in making sure that we're doing what we feel like we need to do and as long as we do that it will always be consistent sort of whether I always know it or not so I suppose that's like a little blind faith that we're all allowed from time to time <laughs> <laughs> is that something you kind of came to with time like being able to kind of trust in yourself um I think I think like all musicians or everyone that does anything artistic has that from the get-go but then just like learning to keep hold of that is really where really where it starts getting challenging like amateur musicians that don't really know a lot about what they're doing can sometimes overshoot their own technical abilities by a long fucking way like sometimes like it's the something about naivety and like greenness and just like unbridled passion for something can make you like create shit that's really really fucking great but you don't know why it happened or how it happened and then once you start knowing stuff then your brain starts going like well this should go here and this should go there and that can go there but that more calculated approach can narrow can narrow things down a lot i definitely think we all had it like right at the beginning and then right before i went into the album i think that was like my sort of um 
artistic midlife crisis. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, I know stuff about how to make chords together and now I actually have to like kind of think about stuff before I do it. And then throughout the process of making the album, I kind of like forgot, forgot, forgot to sort of be overly intelligent about stuff, which is fantastic. And now I kind of, now just shoot from the hip. Absolutely, just take it as it comes and just fuck. Just, just shit it out all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think about it. Just fucking, just fucking have a jog. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you mentioned that naivety there. Transformer, that was one that was written right as you were kind of starting off, wasn't it? Was it not like one of the, one of the first songs that came out of the band? Did it kind of have that naivety present for you? Oh, big time. I think, um, I think my mum always reminds me that I made bug when i was like 13 or 14 or something really yeah 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 i think that may have been the first song i ever wrote i think so and it was like and then transformer followed quite closely after so i can't like uh say it's difficult to like find where those songs came from because it was just like because it was i didn't fucking know chords or shit so it's like i guess that's why like when you look at the chords on those songs they're all like a lot of open strings. There's not really any chord shapes. That's beautiful. Fuck chord shapes. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> old jazz. Like Transformer as well, you can kind of hear, I know we were speaking about earlier when you kind of first find music and it's that, that idea of everyone being, you know, kind of young and angry and teenage angsty. But that's, that's so present in Transformer because you have that line, that how can you hate in a place like this? Oh, like yeah. Like kind of drive, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, too, yeah, yeah, too right. I mean, I mean, I think that was just, um, that might have even been a grappling for something to complain about. Who knows? <laughs> it's weird being in that place as a teenager, because you kind of have no worries in the world, and as a result of that, everything feels like the end of the world. Oh, too right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Everything's, everything's so raw and unbridled and, like, unbearably vibrant all the time. Uh, I suppose it's easier to replicate it's just this like just ambient ambient screaming noise you can kind of just like fall into pretty easily but it also exists in like i guess i don't know whether to call this adulthood i don't know what i'm doing (laughs) but but it also exists now i think it's just like it's just letting go a bit and just letting it come from the feet and just like you know not trying to be too intelligent about anything kind of retain that simplicity and the kind of the spark that originally worked at the heart of the band yeah exactly exactly i think like the instinct to make music comes first and then kind of you know be intelligent about it if you want later <laughs> which which kind of, i'll opt in for imagery and stuff after the basic idea is there and the the, the basic idea comes from like immediate experience and I'll start going, oh, that reminds me of a postbox. <laughs> and then, you know, later on, postbox by King Nun. There was a postbox. I went to it. It was great. It's an analogy for a breakup. <laughs> <laughs> you have some stuff in the album that is like pretty straight up as well, like Chinese medicine. That's kind of, it's a pretty kind of open song. Like there's not as much imagery going on there. It's kind of just pretty honest about this kind of search for putting your faith in something. Oh yes, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, I think that was like, like help this old dude to an ambulance once, and just started like um, banging on about some stuff. And then, well, I think like the the chorus, like keep my hands in place, keep my head on, is like it sounds like that is just my hypochondria wrote that. <laughs> it's sort of like um, that might be a mix of the two actually. It's kind of using this sort of imagery stuff and then just letting go and just sort of screaming about deep-seated concerns yeah kind of juxtaposes them yeah yeah gives them that impact yeah yeah i reckon so thanks you were saying earlier that kind of drive from instinct as well to write songs to kind of keep a hold of that rawness that was that was at the heart of the band is that what motivates you in the studio as well as it you can have to rely upon instinct instead of consciously thinking about things or what's the kind of ratio like there i reckon when we go into the studio i've usually I've usually found the zeitgeist of that particular that particular time in our lives of when we go in to do it, and the, where the songs will be the songs will be written as we're going through the uh, like production process. Or we might add little bits or subtract little bits, sort of depending on how it sort of hits the speakers and stuff. Because it, it's a it's a different ball game when you turn something live into a recording. Like there's a 
there's different kind of techniques you've got to approach to reach the same effect. But um, so I'll have the basic idea, which is like, I suppose in the case of I Have Love, it was like, um, it was like a heavy emphasis on kind of optimism and kind of sort of embracing shitness in the pursuit of having a good time. <laughs> and then in and then in maths, I think it was sort of like this need to step up to the plate and this sort of coming of age feeling I was having, I guess, that comes out of sort of being in your early twenties. But through the process it kind of grows into this thing. And then I suppose that's where the uh the choice to start trying to be clever about it sort of shows up. So that's like the instinct is there, there is a vague outline, and then it goes like, oh, Maybe it's time to add a black tree into the mix. <laughs> <laughs> At what point do you kind of feel everything fall into place then? You know, when you're speaking there about kind of having it like consciously link up, at what point does that kind of all collate? I think it's kind of at some point during the process. I couldn't actually tell you really. I think um, it's always happened though. I would say at some point throughout recording, I always kind of go like, oh, oh shit, that's what we're trying to do. I get it. What's the, what would you say is the most important question to ask yourself when you're making a record? Or what was the most important question you asked yourself when making the first record? Like purpose, I think. Like does this, does this need to exist? Because like this is all, like this whole, I suppose my reason for doing this in a lot of ways is like creating a body of work to, to leave behind or something that I can, something that I can kind of reflect my own experience and sort of create it as this thing that will sort of last and have an effect on as many as pe- as many people as I can sort of give it to. So I think I think the most important reason is like, do I, is this? Do I need to say this right now? And if I don't, then I got there. There is stuff I need to say. So we, so we should probably do that. Purpose. Yeah, absolutely. The um the. The music isn't there to sustain the band. The band is there to to create the music. What we're making is first and foremost the most important thing. Because being in a band isn't particularly rewarding by itself, but having content, you're like, oh my god, I just called it content <laughs> now. But it's um, <laughs> content. Fucking hell. But the but the, the music, having good music is incredibly rewarding or like music that I think is good and that hopefully other people think is good is, is what it is about. So yeah, purpose. Absolutely. Like this, like I think this needs to exist. I haven't looked back on the debut too much. I just know that we're all really proud of it, which is fantastic. And, but it's like, I am just, I am fucking knee deep in the next one now. I can, see this record very very fucking clearly almost it's it's difficult to look back on past work now because i understand this one now this is like this is the shit that we're doing right now does almost reframe past work in a different light now that you know what the next thing is Is um i suppose it i suppose it would yeah i mean i think it may not have been long enough with with mass yet to have that sort of retrospective look at it um it's sort of like when i look back to like i have love that absolutely totally makes sense to me in context of like what was going on at that time with whatever particular breakup and the the fact the the fact that i'm like really hypochondriac (laughs) sort of started becoming a thing so it makes sense that i started leaning into optimism and sort of embracing kind of darkness in the pursuit of something better and then tulip and hung around makes sense to me totally now may not have been long enough with mass maybe maybe when we're done with this new body of work mass will sort of click into place but but at the moment it seems like it's still relevant like it's like i've not really got any not got any thoughts on it or sense of nostalgia just yet yeah it's maybe as well because i mean the some of the experiences that forged it i know you guys were going through a wee bit of a tough time when that happened if they haven't quite come to a sense of closure yet it's then maybe hard to reframe the music that's about that in a new light or in a in a perspective like um i think that i think making the making the record may have been therapeutic enough where we kind of exercised those things like it was definitely that 
like making that album was like it was definitely like an event like there was lots and lots and lots of shit going on <laughs> shit was going down but i think uh, as we were kind of singing about it and pushing through it those those concerns are less so now though sort of our feelings about them are more relevant than ever i think at the present moment how did it impact you as a group of four individuals as well what was your relationship like as a band at the start of that recording process and then compared to it at the end i think we know each other better than we know ourselves now but i think that may have come out of touring like a lot like following the album <laughs> uh, i think it's like it's it, it, you've become unimaginably close to people that you're in a band with going through everything that you need to do it's like i feel like we've really we really know each other very 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 well <laughs> like and maybe after the sort of we spent many 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 months on the album as well so that was um the longest we would have ever worked on something with the four of us in a room for that long than we've than we'd ever worked before so i think maybe there is a we know each other like a hell of a lot more but other than that i don't know if anything's changed really we're still kind of Still kind of the same dudes, just sort of kind of up to trouble as we always were, really. What have you learned most about the other guys in the band then, over the course of being in a group with them? <laughs> you know, you said that you, you know them better than, or you know each other better than you know yourselves. So, yeah, definitely. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of, um, I don't know how best to answer that, honestly. <laughs> I think, I mean, there's just, I don't know, there's, I don't know, there's, lot, there's lots of things. There's petty things and there's lovely things. But it's, um, you know, every now and then, you know, someone will mention something that is a particular pattern in like my behavior, like whether it would be, whether it would be good or like jokerly, um, snarky, whatever it is. And I go like, oh, fuck, yeah, that is actually summed me up there. <laughs> that is absolutely true. I do do that. Can you get a perspective on yourself from your own songwriting as well? Like in the way that you can bounce off someone there and they give you a completely objective view of yourself. Can you get that when you write a song about yourself and then kind of look back on it? I reckon so, yeah. I don't, I don't think I'm like self-aware enough for that. <laughs> I think that's like, that might be, that might be something for like, I might, I, I don't doubt that that will become apparent in like, in, in, in years to come, maybe, maybe 30s, 40s or something. I know myself enough to know that like, I can't see the full picture yet. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm yet to move past this kind of, time in my life as it were i guess it's like that saying that you spend the first 20 years of your, you spend the second 20 years of your life trying to sort out all the shit you did in the first 20 <laughs> yeah yeah fuck yeah i guess so yeah but yeah i don't think um i don't consider myself responsible or like adult enough to kind of have an objective view yet really it's weird how everyone gets classed as an adult at 18 when it feels like the i mean i don't feel like an adult the road feels so long to get yeah. to that point it does doesn't it I remember like um I think in America you gotta stay you've gotta stay at school like a lot a lot further than you do here. Where it's like I remember uh, I was in I was in San Francisco and we were on tour and I have some American family. And my dad's brother moved to California like years and years and years ago and he's like a resident citizen, I can't remember one or one or the other. I'd like did this huge walk through San Francisco. Oh, goodness gracious. I remember sitting on this hill and it's like I was looking over the whole city. I could like see the Golden Gate Bridge and all of this shit going on. I went, what, I went, what the fuck? It's the movies. Anyway, that was a tangent. But, <laughs> but I remember he, he said at one point, he, he, was, he was like, they, they want you to decide your life when you're 18? It's crazy. You've got to be 21 here. It's a, yeah, it's bloody bloody fucking young isn't it <laughs> i mean people can leave school at 16 as well like i look back and i think at the time you don't really think of it as a thing but now you look back and you see people leaving school at 16 you think that's fucking nuts that, like you're, you're, a, you're a kid mm-hmm. yeah I'll tell you what i can't remember how long i was in school and i got kicked out like pretty early i can't remember um i can't I, yeah i don't know if i made it to 18 actually now that i think about it i was 17 17 did you get kicked out i didn't get kicked out i left ah! i didn't like it why was that what why was that how come you left i just came uh, well i actually i went to uni at 17 because i was like i knew that i wanted to leave school because i hated it so i just kind of fucking i don't know knuckled down for the last month before exams and then just got what i needed and 
Oh, left the place. It moved a hundred miles away. Bloody hell! Where about did you grow up? Um, in Southwest London. So like, um, I've been moving about a lot. So like, uh, Twickenham, Richmond, Sheen, all around that queue at one point for a little bit. So how far do you stay from where you kind of grew up now? Are you kind of a wee bit away from it, or are you still pretty close? Um, I'm still, I'm still fairly close. I'm in Wandsworth like most of the time now. So it's like, um, so it's still kind of, it's still kind of southwest London. Yeah, I drop, I drop through every now and then. I check it out. I guess it's a wee bit different though. It's a bit, or a wee bit deceiving maybe because you're usually on tour so much of the time that you're not really there. Or I guess now it's changed. But... Yeah, big time. I remember having actually, yeah, in when I was in San Francisco going to see. Uh, going to see my uncle like sitting on that hill looking over San Francisco I had this thing that like really went through my head where it's like we'd been touring for so long and America is just so alien I remember kind of sitting up on this hill and having this incredible like like I don't think I live anywhere now like I don't like I don't really think I like need to be anywhere at any particular time really feel like I'm kind of living wherever I'm at now I mean, I do have a place, but it's like, I kind of feel like I could be from anywhere at this point. I guess that's kind of what being in a city like every day for like two years does to you. Know? That sounds kind of freeing in a weird way as well, though. Like not being chained down to anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think so. Touring is a beautiful thing for that. It really is. It, like, you get so aware of so many cultures. Because London is a bubble. It is, it is absolutely a it is one particular thing and being outside of that and being exposed to like a lot of different cultures and things is beautiful magnifique <laughs> meet a lot of interesting people oh big oh big time yeah for sure my like social battery like overcharges on tour i just i just want to know everybody what is this person from nashville like or like uh, in spain whatever it is does it make you think differently about like London and where you come from when you kind of see how you know vast and different the world is? Big time, yeah. Like the the just everything just feels so much smaller compared to the big picture. Like I I can remember sneaking out when I was younger and walking around Twickenham, Richmond, whatever it was, and just feeling I felt like I was in the big city at the time. And it was like there could be something happening around any corner. And if I just like adventure around for long enough, then I'll sort of, you know, run away with the circus. And then I did run away with the circus and I realized that the world is fucking huge. <laughs> I feel you. There's a weird kind of, I just moved to Glasgow like a month ago, a few oh, years yeah? back. And there's a, I still kind of feel that weird kind of touristy thing, like little boy wandering around the big city. Like it just feels so vast compared to where I was prior. I fucking love that. That is the crack. <laughs> It's, and a, it's a nice feeling in a weird way yeah like it's a bit like what you're saying on tour like it's a wee bit freeing like it feels like anything could happen for good or for worse it is a where were you at before uh so i was in edinburgh but then i went back to like small town Aberdeenshire for lockdown oh i see oh i see right it's lots of fields I'll tell you what i'm envious of you for glasgow though. that is a beautiful place i've always seriously enjoyed my time there it's like these big kind of like a bit like gothic architecture like mixed in with like mixed in with a like whatever modern thing yeah it's a working a hybrid it is fantastic love it i it makes perfect sense to me that they're shooting the new batman there yeah i stay right next to that actually it's like the old kind of necropolis you know victorian graveyard all this like wonderful kind of crooked crumbling gravestones and architecture it's very atmospheric and, and yeah. gloomy and yeah, gritty that's batman is fuck I hope they finish that quick. Robert Patterson's got COVID, isn't it? Shit. Did you see the trailer for that new Batman thing? Yeah, it's the Riddler, isn't it? I'm Paul so Dano. fucking hyped for it. It looks it looks great. <laughs> it looks so good. I'm not i I'm not usually one for um comic book films. I'm massive, massive into comic books, but not so much like the films. But this was like it was gritty and it looked like seven, you know, the film seven. It was like it just it had that kind of vibe. It was like fucking depressing and it was like yeah fucking yes <laughs> this is what i mean that man set in glasgow how old were you when you got into comic books i think maybe like 15 16 something like that i think it was a i think i read like neil gaiman's the sandman and then that kind of which is this um which is a heavy one to start with yeah 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 big time 
But I think it was kind of, I think it kind of introduced me to the, like the nature of comic books is basically like imply the movement of a film with paintings and like screenwriting. And these two things put together is such a fucking cool medium. Cause like you're not restricted by physicality of making a film and you're not restricted by like having to be overly verbose, like with a novel or whatever. It's like the, it's just the perfect visual, like novel mix. And when, when you've got really good screenwriting and really good paintings, like in the case of Neil Gaiman or like Art Spielman, then these things come together in such a fantastic way. It's brilliant. Is Art Spielman, is that the guy that did Mouse? Mouse, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mouse is so fucking great. I mean, that, that's another fantastic example of using that medium in like a in a way that couldn't be done any other, like depicting um the uh, the Jewish people in the Holocaust as a uh, mice and then um and then the Germans as like these kind of pigs is like a, a really interesting thing to do visually. It's a perfect metaphor. It's um really scary and horrifying for the time, but that's exactly what it's trying to achieve, I suppose. Yeah, it's done masterfully. It really is. I love that book. Are there way in which ways can music kind of serve as a medium? You know how we're speaking about that comic books is kind of this very specific thing, and it has these this manner in which you can tackle things that no other medium can. In what way can music communicate things that other mediums can? I think music music can be like an a complement to life in a way that no other art form can be. Which is like um, if you watch a film, you can print yourself onto that film, but music kind of prints itself onto you. <laughs> God, that was so weird. Um, it's like, um, I remember, like, there's an interview with MGMT that I saw once where they were talking about, like, that when they hear a song they're really into, they end up living in that song for a period of time, which is to say that I think that music, like, sort of goes with you throughout life. And you kind of, you see yourself in that, in the music. And through interpretation, it kind of sounds like it's about your life at that time, if you're really into it. I don't think any other art form can do that. The experience of listening to music is like, you see yourself in it as much as it sounds like it was like written about your life, which it can do on occasion. But it can be like an accompaniment to living, I guess. I guess that's why it's unique. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.